0: and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. Today we will be exploring the world of collaboration and how to enable deeper collaboration and I'm delighted to welcome Dr Tanvi Gautam, founder at Leadership Inc and author of the soon-to-be-published book Deep Collaboration. Tanvi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Tanvi, your experience and your insights and now your upcoming book will help leaders navigate this transition that they're all in between a more hierarchical structure and way of working and a more interdependent and networked way of working and leading. And as we know, there are lots of elements to creating what I call flow in that system, in the team systems, but the organisational systems as well. And one of the major levers is collaboration, uh, as we already discussed, at various levels. So I think there's a difference between saying we're a team, and then actually effectively collaborating as a team, moving to the high performance space. And collaboration for me is a major buzzword in today's business world. We need to collaborate. Let's collaborate better. Let's do collaboration. Let's be agile, et cetera. But just pulling people together in a team and giving them shared drives, shared tools and a process is not going to create collaboration, is it? So can we start there? What is going to create collaboration before we talk about deeper collaboration?
1: Yeah, and you know what's worse than saying uh, we're a team and then not collaborating is going around saying we are one team. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I haven't come across any of my clients who've ever said we are two teams. Everybody is one team. (laughs) One team. And and we still struggle with collaboration. I think a lot of it has to do with what we understand of what is really collaboration. Mm. I think that is something that people get mixed up sometimes. Mm. I also think that there are certain prerequisites for making sure that there is collaboration. I call it the collaboration infrastructure. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure means, you know, do your people have the tools, the resources, the the talent? Mm. And yet that is the minimum viable, non-negotiable part of the team's conversation. So people put all the infrastructure together Mm. and then Go forth and collaborate. Well, <laughs> not going to happen. So, but there are teams where even that is missing. So let me not kind of pretend like it doesn't. Ma- it does matter. Yeah. So I think that there are three different levels of how I think about it. You know, a level one is not really collaboration. I think a lot of times what people are doing is coordination or cooperation, and thinking they are collaborating. It's not collaboration. Mm. is a very specific concept, and that has to do with transcending who we are as individuals and what mm. we bring to the table. That is really collaboration, mm. and I think that we've kind of dumbed down the collaboration conversation. Absolutely, by when you use the word collaboration, people mm. are rolling their eyes internally, or <laughs> and you should see it can kind of trigger a lot of people. This mm. idea of Collaboration, that word, you know, it's overdone because yeah. it kind of been dumbed down. So I think that, first of all, being clear on the difference on what we do, what do we truly mean when we talk about collaboration? Mm. Then your question on, well, if it's not the infrastructure that makes it, then what does? And I think that if I had to bring it down to three things, it's meaning, contribution, and community. Is there a sense of meaning to what I am doing? Do we all feel we are doing this? Because mm. it, the contribution it's making to the world, but also the contribution it's making to the individuals who are involved. We mm. get this thing. We always frame it as, okay, what are you giving? But we need to close the loop in what are you getting?
0: Getting, yeah.
1: And yeah. when that balance is there, I find people are much more committed to this conversation. Mm. And then community, which you know got ruptured so badly thanks to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and we're still trying to recreate community. If you can combine infrastructure with meaning contribution community and conversations, which is yeah. what this is all about, <laughs> then you will start seeing the shifts. And mm. I have seen people make the shifts. So to anyone who has been rolling their eyes, there is that <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I think it's it's really helpful to split it into tangible blocks, if you like, of what we actually mean by collaboration, because I think I know you're passionate about diversity and inclusion as a subject, and so am I. And I, I think that's why the discussion or conversation, let's use that word, which is a courageous conversation around inclusion, diversity and inclusion, and creating an inclusive environment is becoming more prevalent is because we need to collaborate more. And for me, that's the pivotal part of the foundation of effective collaboration is the interrelational part of community. So I step into a space that isn't just mine and I listen to the ideas of others and we make sense together. I mean, when I talk to teams about collaboration, it's mean, oh, you need you mean we need to talk more. It's like, no, you need to listen more first. <laughs> I would suggest. So if we come to the conversations, which are always courageous ones, if collaboration for me is effective, I would love to have your input on that. Is there a link for you between the courageous conversations and the level of collaboration and if so how do we fast track the collaborative potential of a team therefore
1: yeah no you're absolutely right and i think diversity and inclusion thing part of it is community but part of it also is also contribution absolutely so you hire mm. you hire someone who is so capable and then for whatever reason whether it's you know uh, conscious or unconscious mm. It, mm. they're not in the position to contribute the way they could so that also impacts collaboration i think that the quality of the conversations determine the quality of the culture and they determine the quality of our performance it starts mm. there and mm. conversation is as much about talking as it's about listening so you're absolutely mm. right mm. i think that the to fast track it they have to be the i like to use this acronym i tell them put them in a cart you know like the amazon checkout cart <laughs> like the cart stands for clarity Accountability, resources, and trust. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are we really clear about what we are trying to do? You'll be surprised how many times I have had conversations where, if I'm working on a larger project and I've spoken to three different leaders in the organization, I've come out and I've had to tell HR, like, you know, if you didn't tell me, I wouldn't think they're all from the same company. Yeah. Right. Such divergent mm-hmm. views on where they think they're going. And yes, of course, if you're in marketing and I'm in IT, I do expect a different slant. but at least our landing point should be, you know, matched. Yes. So I, mm. the clarity is missing many times. Mm. Yeah. And then everybody's supposed to be this collaborative person, but how do we create accountability in the system? Absolutely. That nothing kills collaboration faster than, this, this was not my piece, that was your piece, and, you know, or Wait, you yeah. having to pull the weight of someone who wasn't working or whatever else, right? Mm. So... Accountability and resources, like we discussed, Mm. the infrastructure and all Mm. that, and the trust part of Mm. it. Mm. So I think I'm saying the same thing in a slightly more tangible form, because if you're trying to fast track something, these are the bare minimum things you need to look at is accountability, resources and trust that takes things up a level.
0: It does. And often in blame culture, which it wasn't me, it was you, it wasn't my budget, it was his or hers, etc. It's the lack of accountability. And I think flatter ways of working, sort of more networked ways of working, people think it's going to be easier. But ironically, you have to be even clearer about particularly individual accountability, but also collective accountability. And that's why I love the idea in your book of the five conversations because conversation is what doesn't happen. So there aren't aren't conversations and people aren't listening to what's being said and what isn't being said, which is really important for me, which you come to in your five conversations.
1: Before we go there, I really want, I cannot agree more in what you're saying that we assume flat, therefore easier. I think the number of people who are suffering from collaborative burnout right now and collaborative overload, Mm. because they're in these matrix structures. Multiple reporting lines are going on and there are multiple stakeholders they have to engage. And with the business models being realigned, you're expected to be collaborative, but you're not always supported to be collaborative. Mm. The skill set, the mindset, the culture of collaboration is missing. So, you know, if you just change structure and dotted lines and straight lines and then expect that it will happen, it it doesn't. In fact, it goes in the other direction because it's, it's really messy. And, and that's the reason why this, this book came along, because I was like, OK, can we sit down and just need to talk about, I don't care who's reporting to whom and where are they coming from, <laughs> but is are we all on the same page to begin with around a few different things? And then we can navigate from there. So you're right, FLAT is actually much more difficult.
0: Yeah, and ironically, people think, oh, I, I won't have a boss, I can do what I want. I hear all these things, but it's essentially, to come back to your acronym that I really like, it's shifting the car. That's what you're doing. You're shifting clarity. It's not as clear. You're shifting accountability. It's not as clear about accountability. Resources are allocated differently. Trust is put in the balance, isn't it? Because you used to trust the matrix organization. I feel that matrix organizations are at the limit of what they can bring to today's world in terms of business competitive advantage, but also people competitive advantage, because the world is shifting and is so much more interconnected. So that's why I like the idea of shifting the cart, which for me is what your conversations are doing. And all those conversations are deep, probably quite messy conversations because they're,
1: 100%. you know,
0: they're courageous ones. But it would be great if you could walk our listeners through the path that I really liked—from deep inspiration to deep learning to deep friction to deep strategizing and then deep daring. And I know there's one at the end that we'll come back to that I really liked. But let, let, let's talk about those five conversations first, which is actually how your book is structured. Yes.
1: So in fact, we created a map, you know, kind of like yeah. how you go around an island, they're visiting different parts. <laughs>
0: Of
1: I like the, that. Yeah. you know so the first conversation is deep inspiration so there's a mountain which talks about peaks of inspiration so you <laughs> let's go to peaks of inspiration because I feel a lot of times metaphors really help us dial into what we are trying to mm. get off beyond the cerebral you know understanding of what we are trying to yeah. do so the peaks of inspiration are all about what's really inspiring about what we are trying to do over here mm. and might say well is that the purpose conversation yes it is the purpose conversation but it is it need not when we talk about purpose sometimes people get a little bit overwhelmed and then they think you know this is just this, this massive save the world save the whales save the planet kind mm. of a thing which it is mm. but sometimes purpose is is a collection of small moments of Absolutely. purpose mm. and experiences of purpose that then you know dial into the mm. larger purpose and Purpose is not just the company purpose, it's the individual purpose, the team purpose. And people mm. have to have that conversation and, and start connecting that very importantly. Mm. Mm. We don't do the connection. Mm. right? What inspires somebody to come to work and how is that feeding into what we are trying to do? Again, that closing that loop. Yes. part. Of, right? So having a conversation of what's, what's inspiring about what we are trying to do, what is the real change we are making directly, indirectly. And it, like I said, it doesn't have to be massive, but yeah. it still has to be had. Mm. Then from the you know peaks of uh, inspiration, we go into the the deep learning part of it, and deep learning is is all about trying to understand what's going on in your world because mm. this deep collaboration is this book particularly is aimed at teams trying to work across silos. Yes, and you know there's a lot of conversation now around how we are entering the age of the polymath. Yes, and the Renaissance individuals. It was really interesting because um, the Microsoft chief artificial intelligence officer, that's not what he's called, but I'm forgetting what he's called. So (laughs) He's in charge of the whole AI thing there. And in the recent interview, he just said that that when they got like a bunch of experts together from different fields Mm. and they put them to, you know, these experiments where they were trying to see how they are able to connect cross-functionally, and each of the experts says, that they were amazed at how AI was able to connect the dots across mm. disciplines. It's not just AI, but teams have to learn to do that as well.
0: Yes, on a human and level.
1: <laughs> and at a human level. And so to understand well, what is your world? Why do mm. you do things the way you do so mm. that we are not talking past each other? What are the metrics mm. that matter to you? What are the metrics yep. that matter to me? Uh, so that's the deep learning part of it. And then we, in that island map, we go <laughs> to the what, waterfall of deep principles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like that the waterfall of deep friction.
1: That's right because it's <laughs> like falling down the falls <laughs> <side. laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Rapidly, you know, steer the canoe mm. in the correct direction. So deep friction, which is about of course navigating conflict on the team mm-hmm. and we can get into that that little deeper later. And then the fourth one is around deep strategizing, which is what's the quality
0: of your strategy conversations? Conversations, yeah. I liked that idea
1: so you've got a strategy, but mm. how are you translating into execution? Because that is important. Of course. And finally, it's the deep daring, which is a lot about how are we thinking about uncertainty and risk and resilience and your, your last podcast with Amy Edmondson about failure. Yes. You know, all, all these big statements about yeah. you know, you know, fail fast and all of that. And then yeah. comes performance appraisal. Mm-hmm. And then and that conversation of, but you failed in. I mean, so we have to have that conversation on what's our risk appetite. Mm. How are we going to go about it? How are we going to navigate the uncertainty when we are sitting in it? Yeah, this also has had to be have had because you can't start um, creating a maneuver for landing the plane in a storm if yeah. you don't have some sort of a skill set around it.
0: Of course, of course.
1: So, so that's that's the the deep daring, and mm. it's not always linear. I think some teams are yes. better at some than others, mm. but mm. they also have to have been had, yeah. whether it's we spend, you know, we're quite dialed into inspiration, but we keep tripping over on deep friction or we are pretty good at solving conflict on the team. But when it comes to risk, we all kind of tend to back off. So well, how do we get the innovation piece? So it's not linear and it's not mm. prescriptive in terms of how much time you should spend at one place or the mm. other, mm. but just make sure you've been through the island yes. of deep collaboration.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these processes, we're not linear beings, are we? We're not binary beings, which is part of the issue. But so if I go through that, let's just go through it in a sort of linear fashion to the end, which is the last bonus conversation that you put in of deep introspection, which I really like. And it's also something we touched on with Amy Edmondson around failure and psychological safety and how we create these conditions. It starts on the inside always, Mm -hmm. which is why these conversations are so challenging, but need to be so intentional. And what i really liked about your approach is yes it's a journey that's very clear and it's not linear but it's also very intentional so even even if these conversations are uncomfortable it's really intentional so the last bonus conversation of deep introspection can you tell us a little bit about more about that so why it's the bonus conversation and a little bit more about the constellation principle that i i really liked right so
1: the self-introspection piece is because You know, it is always so easy to find a problem with somebody else or something else. Yeah. If only my boss would, or if only the people in finance would, Mm. or whoever the other is that you're looking Mm. at. And I think as leaders and as team members, we don't sit and ask, how am I coming in the way of what is going on? It's that that famous song that's uh, going around, right, uh, of Taylor Swift it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to break into song because that wouldn't be very nice. <laughs> but I know the one you mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I should create like a playlist to go with yeah. the book.
0: Well. That would <laughs> be, be very
1: cool. Isn't it? Like Deep Bearing could have the I'm a survivor. <laughs> yeah. You could have a playlist. So it's, you know, I'm the problem, it's me. Mm. It's understanding how our own socialization, our own framing of the issue, may be the reason why collaboration is becoming difficult. And it's always hard to look at oneself because everybody has these ideas in their heads about what collaboration should look like. The deep constellation principle, it was actually inspired by this article by Boris Kreuzberg. He had many, many years ago written this thing about how when companies hire stars from another organization, they expect that this high-performing individual will come in and they'll be this really impactful person. But that didn't always happen. And their analysis was, and, and Boris is a professor at Harvard Business School, for those of you who may not know him. His analysis was, people are successful because they have a network around them mm. that is scaffolding the way they are going about the work that they are doing. Mm. And so when I'm thinking about introspection, I think a lot of time what derails it is, we think about us as the stars who are you know making things happen, mm. contributing. But in particularly in cross sale collaboration, we are not looking for a star. We are looking for a constellation. Yeah. And just like a constellation in the sky used to guide other travelers, is that constellation that has to has to guide people who are on the mm. team, the, the the work you're doing with the clients, et cetera. Mm. So stop thinking of yourself as the brightest star in the galaxy and start thinking of yourself as what's the constellation we are trying to form here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what's uh, the Constellation Principle. And once that clicks, mm. it, it becomes a completely different conversation. And I have to confess that that chapter was written because there was a time in my life where I had no idea what a Constellation Principle was. I was amongst the people who would roll their eyes on collaboration. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, so it's a bit of a coming home chapter for me. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's interesting that I'm writing an entire book on this when I began exactly at the other end of the spectrum. So if I can make that shift, I think other people can. And and Mm. the principle is to inspire you to start thinking of yourself Mm. as part of the collective.
0: Mm. But that's the inspiration, isn't it? I'm imagining that's why you're writing this book, is to operationalize that experience that you Mm -hmm. didn't believe in at the beginning and that can now help leaders tangibly get hold of either three pillars or five conversations or something that can allow them to navigate complexity with their teams around the moments that matter which are always around conversations for me mm-hmm. so I think you know the bold idea of saying to yourself as a leader okay I'm going to intentionally have difficult conversations and I'm going to have them regularly about collaboration you know that's that's quite a different leadership stance isn't it from today's this is what we need to do these are the outcomes how do we get there
1: yeah and you know it, it happened to me I remember with my team we had once done one of those strength finders or something mm-hmm. and- you know, I came into office next morning and they were all huddled, you know, we had shared with each other and yeah. they were talking about, you know, my biggest strength is an activator. I'm the kind of person who walks into the room and is like, OK, you man the door, you get the card. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and a strength overdone is a weakness. And so some people were like, oh, you know, we can end up feeling like our ideas are not being heard. And I said, that's not me. I mean, I always listen to everybody's ideas. Uh, that can't be correct. And whereas my first instinct was to get defensive, I had to also pause and say, now, what if Mm -hmm. that just might be true? And if that is how they are experiencing me, which is not how I want to come across, then what needs to shift within me? Because that's not how I want to come across. Mm -hmm. But having that that ability to sit and reflect and say, maybe. Maybe. Even if it is one percent true, <laughs> what, do I want to be experienced like that? And the mm. answer is And mm. so a lot of things then shifted. So instead of being defensive about what do you mean I'm not a collaborator, I am. Mm. Like yeah, but you do need to tweak a few things. So have a thought.
0: Mm. So we're back to deep introspection or the idea of questioning our own sort of mental models and biases and the way we the way we show up because it's what I call the intention impact gap. And I think mm. it's happened to me various times and it really hurts because the first reaction, as you said, is defensive. It's like, no, I am. No, I do listen to people. How can you say that? And, uh, but actually, when you dig deep, there is often truth in, in what's happening and therefore something needs to be shifted, which brings me back to deep friction, which, which you define as the insidious interpersonal dynamics due to latent conflicts. And if there's one thing I see in organizations and I lived in my 20 years in organizations, it's latent tension. normally from conflict and normally from lack of conversation. But I like the different type of conflicts you talk about and how they link either to surface friction or, or deep friction. And I would like to just spend a little bit of time on that because I think it's really, really useful as a leader for pinpointing where I might have blind spots.
1: I agree. And, you know, the funny thing is I've been on so many podcasts and when I share this with my clients, that's the one conversation that everybody wants to have or find out more about, which makes me think. Instead of writing a book about deep collaboration, I should have just written a whole one about deep,
0: deep friction.
1: <laughs> really quickly, the sources of conflict could be: uh, what are we planning to do, which is task? Mm. How are we planning to do, which is process? Conflict. Mm. Who is going to be calling uh, the shots on this, which is status conflict? Uh, Amy Gallo created that term. She mm-hmm. had a has a book with Harvard Business Review Publishing, and she talks about status conflict. Like, are you calling me shots? Am I calling me shots? Yes, yeah. And then there is interpersonal conflict, which doesn't have anything to do with work, but I don't know why you remind me of my ex and I don't really like you. Or I, don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your style or, yeah. or whatever that we got off on a wrong foot. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing with work. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what happens is that these, these conflicts are inevitable. If you have a group of people working together, there is mm-hmm. going to be conflict. and mm-hmm. You know, you need to have conflict resolution uh, tools and uh, strategies to get through it. Surface level conflict is when all this is there. Yes, we know it's there, we expect it to be there, but it starts going deeper because now it has become interwoven with emotions and identities that mm. are at stake. Mm. I have felt judged or devalued in some way. And that could be around a task or a process or a... You know, yeah. what. So the intensity of the emotion being experienced around is now getting deeper. And so surface level friction can turn into deep friction.
0: Quite quickly, no?
1: So if it's not managed mm. properly, it mm. can mm. become that. Mm. And deep friction is very difficult because sometimes it's like the... Smell in the air was like something, something burning. i like, mm. <laughs> no one knows what's burning. There is that something burning in the air, and so it becomes very difficult to identify. And if you're a newcomer and you come in, you'll probably be very good at spotting deep conflict.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Why is it that when these two people are in a room, that everybody's a little bit mm. tense? Mm. Or why is it that I have been told that you cannot talk to this person about this topic because there's something buried over there? Yes. Yeah. Right. and yeah. so it gets to a point where no one really knows why it's there there's, there can be a lot of passive aggressiveness going mm. around one mm. wants to be a cat mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's an emotional charge of course, what of course. so that's the difference between uh, surface conflict and deep conflict mm. that where you will have to go to solve for deep conflict is a very different place than where you would have to go if you were trying to solve mm. for surface level conflict which may more amenable to, okay, let's just, you know, what's the compromise we can make? Yeah. Or let's push that to another quarter? Mm. Or let's do this pilot and see where it goes. Mm. These are ways of resolving some surface level conflict things. But mm. once it's kind of gone deeper and it's mm. taken root, you can't do a filling where a root canal is needed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And it goes into the system's emotional infrastructure, doesn't it, though? If you don't do something with it, because systems are made of us, of human beings. So if you don't do something with it, it remains in the muscle memory of the system of passive-aggressive reactions to a conflict that is there. Everybody knows it, but nobody's talking about it. And therefore, we start playing the blame game or we just disengage. Uh, I think that's really... for for leaders and for teams particularly teams who are working in teams of teams where you have to be connected to other parts of the organization that can be really dangerous
1: i love that you use the word muscle memory because Mm. it it is indeed that that is why the strategies for navigating deep conflict are different yes than surface level conflict Mm. in the book i talk about this idea of co-regulation or co-escalation I really
0: liked that yeah
1: and I I, I'm borrowing from years of tradition of studying the neurobiology of people and the nervous systems of people Mm and how we respond to each other and if you go look at some of the work that has been happening over the years on studying trauma mm-hmm. and trauma is is a word that we don't have time to unpack but it's yeah. I, I just want to acknowledge the traditions it comes from yes it speaks to this idea that whether we are in spoken word or not our nervous mm-hmm. systems are talking to each other
0: yeah and which so i find fascinating it's yeah. fascinating isn't it Yes, and 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 you know you think about the time when
1: you know you're going up in an elevator and someone walks in and you instinctively smile and nod. And another time someone walks and in, you instinctively are looking up at the you know the numbers and then you're looking at your phone and you take a step on the side. Oh, the person said nothing or did nothing to you. Mm. Right? But there's this unspoken um uh, mm. we B- energetically uh, and you know all this is now starting we're going to see more of this coming into the workplace as we talk about human centered organizations mm. how do you know something is a human or not now that there is artificial intelligence because i have a physical body which artificial intelligence doesn't yes <laughs> right and so you got to pay attention to my wiring mm. and my wiring is containing within it these mm. what you call muscle memory or the nervous tension mm what it feels like when I'm sitting with somebody. So co-regulation is about me recognizing that your nervous system is getting agitated and how do I kind of co-regulate with you that brings both of us down. Mm. And sometimes it's a simple statement like, listen, I hate what you're saying, but I can't disagree why you are feeling like that. Mm. I completely get it, Mm. right? And that just kind of takes away from the charge of what's going on in the moment, mm. and brings people down to kind of co-regulate with each other, versus co-escalate. You know, oh, you think I'm mad? Let me show you yes. what mad is like. Okay, okay? Yeah, you yeah. have no, mad mm. kind of like. Oh, really? Show me what you've got. Now that's an escalation, right? Mm. <laughs> and you know, I, my poor husband, who's had to hear more about this book than he would have liked. <laughs> You know, we've started using vocabulary in the house now where we say things like, mm. this is getting escalated. Let's mm. not let's not go there. Because mm. we can both of us are kind of you know getting riled up about something and, and mm. it's, it's great with me. Mm. So. Mm. so somebody has got to break that cycle and that co-regulation. And and I think communities of co-regulation and organizations where we are signaling to each other Yes. Uh, that it's it's yes, there is tension, but we need mm. to be talking about it in a way that's constructive. Mm. So I'll give you another quick example. Like with one of my clients, we actually had a conversation in the senior leadership team on how how does escalation and your nervous system uh, getting riled up show up. Mm. And it shows up in different ways. Like for some people, they said, oh, I tend to shut down. Like, I'm just not going to engage. Mm. not going to do it. Mm. Others are like, well, I'm going to use every trick in the trade, every data point I have, every case study that there is, every market forecasts that I can find to prove to you that Mm. I am, you know, I'm the person who has the right answer. And so sometimes it's, it's conversations about, well, how do you show up when you feel like it's escalating Mm. and how can I help you co-regulate versus co-escalate? And that's Mm. a difficult place to go because you have to be very, you have to almost be open about the shadow side of you that comes out. Yeah. When something like this happens. And that's a much more advanced conversation. But aren't we supposed to have more advanced conversations now? Because for everything else, there is AI?
0: Yes, exactly. That's the part that will keep us relevant as humans. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But I think just noticing what we notice about our triggers and, and how we show up. But but it's not a conversation that people readily have. And, and I, I completely understand why. But what I like about the co-regulation and co-escalation is the COVID. So it's the shared accountability of, because very often from that defensive place, it's like my boss always does that. He or she always says that to me and he or she knows that it makes me feel like, I, but they still say it, but we all have a part of responsibility. And that's why I like the co
1: the mm-hmm. co part,
0: because it's clarity again, it's being clear that this is a process that both of us are in and both of us contribute to, and therefore we both escalate it or we both regulate it. And I yeah. think that concept, uh, which is you know something that really, stood out to me for the from a leadership perspective because of this interconnected way of working there isn't enough understanding I don't think or acceptance of co-collective accountability and collective responsibility And of course Mm -hmm. you can't have that unless you have psychological safety so or should I say that's my school of thought so when I read about co-regulate co-escalate and put it back into the journey of deep collaboration all the different things we've talked about I think that there are our listeners will be thinking ah thinking of situations going, oh, yeah, I could, co-reg- I could co-regulate that or that was something where it was co-escalated. Because I think that's the part that's missing today. And we, we don't have time, unfortunately, to go to the deep strategizing idea, which also picks up on alignment and, and this idea of mutual understanding of strategy. But can I come to a question that is a little bit more personal, um, Tanvi? What, what's the most transformative thing you've learned or your most transformative experience from this particular book, from the research, from the insights, and from writing this particular book?
1: I think that it's the book was a distillation of a lot of experiences that I had, which then went into the book. And for me, one of my ahas was how each of these conversations are a tapestry Yep. It's one thread weaving into the, the other. So if we have had a deep inspiration conversation and I understand what's your inspiration for where you're going, chances are our deep friction uh, navigation abilities will be better because I have a, I have an insight into you that I didn't mm. otherwise have or if I have done the deep learning part of it and I understand the demands of your function or your roles or the metrics you're after then deep strategizing conversations become that much easier mm. because now I'm not just thinking to the word we were using mutuality mm. of just my interest but your interest mm. as well so mm. as I was like make sure you talk about ABC and I'm like <laughs> wait a second it's all feeding into each other because if you did this then naturally it you know mm. flow to that mm. and so it, it's a synergistic system so even in the process of writing the book I was like and wouldn't this become easier because we had done that mm. so that I, I began thinking of it as five distinct conversations but what it really is it's is these threads which you weave into a tapestry and that's what makes a strong team is because the threads have been
0: interwoven Mm, I, I love that analogy of a tapestry, and the the questions that spark those conversations. Which I would invite my listeners to read the book. At, at the end of each conversation, there are questions to spark a conversation that you give us, which are really helpful. So time is running, but before we close the podcast, would you have a final recommendation or call to action for our listeners who are thinking, mm, okay, maybe maybe we're not collaborating as effectively as I thought or as I would want to?
1: I think the first step which is what we spoke about in the bonus conversation is acknowledging that Mm. you may not be getting it right and that there is a reason you're not getting it right it's not because you're a bad person or the other person is a bad person or the world is out to get you Mm. it is that collaboration is inherently tough Mm. and once once you acknowledge that to yourself you know draw a line on whatever has been till date and say if we were to truly approach this from a fresh perspective, where would we be starting? And that's yeah. when you come and get the book. Mm. And that's why at the end of each chapter, there are these sparks of questions, which are like, and you can make up your own. There's nothing to say that you can't add, but mm. a good jumping off points, those questions, and, and you know, reflect on it as individuals and then reflect on it as a team. And it will be interesting as to, to what ends up coming. I have seen company cultures transform because people mm. have been through
0: these five conversations. Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners without, around sparking conversations that they don't necessarily normally have. Tambi, thank you for coming and sharing your insights and your book and your thoughts. Where can people find out more about your book, you and what you do? Uh,
1: well, thank you for asking. They can go to uh, leadersupgraded.com. Okay. Because everybody likes an upgrade in, in life. <laughs> In flight, in a hotel. So leadersupgraded.com forward slash deep. Okay. Um, and that's where the information about the book is. That's where we also have a download, which is 10 strategies to in, uh, to increase your influence across silos. Okay. You know, 10 Excellent. things that you can adopt right away. And of course, you can also uh, you know get the book. And there are some fabulous book bonuses. And I'll let you go there. But leadersupgraded.com forward slash deep. Or come on LinkedIn and say you found me on Susie's show and then we're like yay.
0: <laughs> okay, super, thank you. And I will put those links in the show notes so that people can find them more easily. Thank thanks you. once again, Sambi. Thanks for a great conversation.
1: Thank you for having me.